0: Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. We're happy if you're joining us here in person or if you're joining us online. We're just so honored to be worshiping Jesus with you here this day. And, you know, as you think about the church, not just this church, but like the, the big C church, right? The like global church. Maybe you've ever asked the question, what's the point? Like, why, why are we here? Like, what, why do we need to do this? What's, why, why does God do it this way? Because when you think about it, it's pretty amazing. Jesus came to this earth. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he left us, the church. Like, this was the plan, right, that we would be here, the church, that we would be uh, Jesus' hands, his feet, his witness here in this world. And, and it's a pretty big task when you think about it. And you think, well, why would he choose us, right? What, what is it that we're supposed to be doing here? Well, we're looking in this series at the book of Ephesians, and Paul talks us all about this, the reasons why the church is built on Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of all this, right? It, it's all about him, and he's going to be, we're going to be in uh, chapter 3 this morning, where he talks kind of about this purpose of the church. He says this, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Okay, so he starts off in kind of flowery language. I don't know about you, but it took me a few kind of readings of that to kind of get a feel for it, because he says that we're here to so that through the church, The manifold wisdom of God, that's big, right? The the wisdom of God could be shown not just to us, not just to our neighbors, uh, but it says that to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. So not just here on earth, like the rulers here on earth, but like heavenly realms as well. How on earth are we supposed to do this? This seems like a lot, don't you think? And when you think of the early church, it might have been even a little more overwhelming because really, they they weren't this organization with like a, a big building and contemporary and traditional worship and another campus and all this. No, it was like a series of small groups, basically, like our our life groups, just a bunch of them, right? And so, the the early church had this challenge of how do we do this? I mean, we're pretty simple, we're pretty basic, you know. Oh, and speaking of basics, by the way, I have a, an idea. We've got this new growth or we've got this growth track coming up. Starts on May 2nd here. It is a series of uh, three classes, and then after that, there's one more class if you want to become a member. And it's a great way to just kind of grow in some of these foundational things in your faith. So maybe you're new to the faith, or maybe you've been around it for a while, but you're like, I could really use a refresher on some of this. We'd love to have you join us for that. Okay, Growth Track is coming soon. You, you can sign up uh, on our events page on the website. In fact, you can get your phone out now. Just go to andersonhills.org slash events, sign up. Uh, nobody will judge you because the pastor just told you to get your phone out and do it, right? So you can do that. If you then continue to play games and people judge you, well, that's on you. I can't say anything about that. But regardless uh, we 'd love to have you join us for that, because there 's these are kind of foundational things that we 're called to, and, and paul 's talking about here this here that the church is supposed to do this we 're supposed to be showing the love of god we 're supposed to be showing the manifold wisdom of God to the world, both here and, and and out there as well. Now, I bet you the early church they might have felt a little bit overwhelmed by this. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by god 's call? I have, I can speak for myself, maybe you've been there too. They're like, look, how are we supposed to do all that? We're just, we're simple, we're a series of small groups, we can't do all that. Rome is really powerful, and we're not powerful. This is just, this is too much of an ask. Maybe they felt a, a little bit like uh, this guy in his truck here, that's like, yeah, you're a little overloaded here, don't you think? I mean, we can't do all that. In fact, now we know that this guy does not own the truck, Right? Because he's smiling, you know. In fact, I wonder if he's the one who loaded the truck. And this picture is like his letter of resignation, right? Like, sorry, boss, your problem now, right? I'm out of here. But they probably felt that way. Like, this is too much. This simple little church can't do all of that, right? God, this is this is more. You're asking us more than we could possibly handle. But verse 12 gives us some hope, though. It tells us we're not alone in this task. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. Another translation says we may approach God with bold access. I like that. Bold access. Now, why do we get to do this? Why do we get to approach God with such freedom and confidence? Well, because our relationship with God is one of, of love. God loves us. But, but more than that, what we just sang about is that God is a good, good father, right? God is our, our heavenly father, and he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to give his life for us so we can have this relationship with him that's not a, a like distant relationship. No, it's like a, a son-daughter relationship and so thus we get to approach with bold confidence. Let me explain. Pastor Mark and I, we've been going around to a number of homes and, and meeting with, with life groups, and it's been super fun. I've just been having a great time getting to know you all and to spend some time there. If, you, if you're in a life group, I'll probably be to yours sometime soon, I'm guessing. Uh, it takes a while, though. We've got a lot of them, right, and I can only get through so many at a time, uh, but as we do this, uh, it's a great experience. But Imagine if I came to your life group or, just, or to your home and we're sitting there and we're talking, we're hanging out, it's all good, we're getting to know each other. And then just kind of randomly during the conversation, I just get up and kind of just walk on into your kitchen, you know, and I open up the fridge, right, and I like, get out some stuff. I start to make me, myself a sandwich, you know, and I get your, your jug of milk and take the cap off and big old swig right out of the jug, right, put it back up there. You'd be like who is this guy anyway right like somebody, in fact if we did that and pastor mark was there i hope that you'd like took a picture of his face right <laughs> So you'd be like oh my gosh i can't believe it right this is embarrassing right like we can't take this guy out in public you you can't do that you don't have refrigerator rights here you know you're just the first time in the house guests don't get to do that we don't have that kind of relationship we don't But if you came over to my house and you watched my children, who are either teenagers or close to teenagers, you'll notice they plow through food like there's no tomorrow. Like they don't, you know, they don't say, oh, dear father, may we get up and get a snack, please, and perhaps one for you as well. No, 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 they just go on in there, whatever's in there, they eat it, right? It doesn't matter if it's my favorite thing, they eat it, it's gone, you know? This is how it works. Why do they do that? Because they can. Their sons, their daughter, they've got rights. They've got refrigerator rights, you know? We've got this closeness that says this is okay, this is allowed. See, when you're a son, when you're a daughter, the relationship is totally different. And that's what it means when it says we've got this freedom, we've got this confidence, we've got this bold access that when we go to God, it's not as like a guest, right? Like, like God, if, if it may be possible, would you consider it maybe? I don't know. No, you're a son, you're a daughter. You, you get to go boldly. You get to ask, God, I need your help. I need your power. I need your strength. You've called me to do this stuff. Sometimes it's really like over my head here, and I need you. I can't possibly do this on my own. It's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. So Paul continues, and he's going to pray for the church. And side note, please pray for your church. It's one of the best things you can possibly do because we need it. We need it so much. I need it as one of your pastors. I need your prayers. In fact, I've, been, I've gotten to meet with a number of prayer groups. We've got another one meeting tonight, S- Sunday, 6 p.m. over at Salem. Uh, we've got groups that meet throughout the week, and they pray. And one of the things they do is they pray for this church. And it's so important because we know that if God is going to do anything here, it's going to start and end with prayer. Because it's going to be God's work, not my work, not your work, not even our great praise team, not their work. No, it's going to be God's work, so thus it's done on God's terms by God's power. And so we pray and we ask God, God, would you help us? Would you empower us? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that that we, God, can, can experience your power? So Paul prays for the church. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, okay, that's, that's how we're established is God's love, that we may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love it surpasses knowledge it's bigger than we can even understand that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God that's powerful stuff it's like you've been adopted in by this incredibly wealthy father right who's got everything He's got all this. The fridge is never empty, right? You've got access to all this all the time, right? You've been adopted into this kind of family. And it's not our power. It's, it's God's power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's, it's that Easter truth, but we know it's not just an Easter truth. No, it's a 365-day-a-year kind of truth, right? That this is always with us. This power is always with us. It's always filling us. The Holy Spirit, where, whether you're, you're here in this room, whether you're at home, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is with you and wants to fill you with that kind of power. So when we look at God's call, and we feel overwhelmed, like that guy in his pickup truck, we feel overloaded, we can have some peace. Because we know it's not just our power, it's, it's God's power, in fact. I believe this so much. God's call will never take you to a place where God's grace will not sustain you. If you're looking at your own calling, and you're feeling overloaded, hear those words. In fact, say them with me. God's call will never take you to a place where God's grace will not sustain you. There's hope in that. If you're feeling God's call to to love your neighbor, to reach out, if you're feeling God's call to be more generous, if you're feeling God's call to say yes in ministry, God's grace will sustain you. We talked earlier about how we have the opportunity to to serve here at our church, that God's just calling us to so many different things, and and I was in this room late last night, and I was praying for you, and I prayed, as I was praying, God gave me this word, open, that, that we would just be open to whatever it is God wants to do. I don't know exactly what God wants to do, but I know God And so I have faith that God is going to communicate that to us and that God is going to lead us and that God is going to guide us. And I pray that for me and for you that that we come to this place with just openness to say, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to use me? What's my role in all this? I give myself to you. Paul says that we are rooted, that we are established in love. Now, these, these are interesting terms. Rooted, of course, that's agricultural, right? Like our uh, outside of the annex building, we have these big plants that we've been pulling up, right? It's being done by the ARM guys. You know, they're, 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 it's, it's an acronym, right? Uh, but it, I think what it really means is they've got big guns, right? Because these guys, they've been, they've been doing some big work out there, right? At least... They tell me they've been pulling them out by hand. I don't know what that big truck was. But regardless, they're pulling out these bushes, and as they do it, they've got this giant-like root structure underneath, sometimes bigger than the bush, right? Because, you know, that's how plants work. Like, you see the plant, and that's pretty and all, but the plant doesn't make it without a strong root structure underneath. That's rooted. He says established. In the original language, that actually is a term that could be used uh, in talking about building a foundation of a building. Now, if you've ever seen like a, a giant skyscraper, you know that it's oppre- impressive above the ground. But if you look here below the ground, this is the, they're building a skyscraper. And those teeny tiny colorful things, those are full-size human beings, by the way, right? To put this to scale, right? There's stories and stories below the ground here, and they're pouring this incredibly massive foundation. Because you don't build a big old building like that and put it on the dirt. It's not going to work. You've got to have this thing on a solid footing, on a solid foundation. And so we are rooted, we are established. Our foundation is what? It's love, the love of God. Your foundation is not your knowledge. Your foundation is not your skills, it's not your resume, it's not your degrees, it's not your accomplishments, as impressive as those may be. No, we are rooted and established in the love of God. If we've got anything worthwhile to offer this world, it's going to come from one thing, the love of God. You may have done incredible things in your life, thanks be to God. You may be super smart, awesome, we need lots of smart people around here to compensate for your pastor, right? You know, what I mean? But we need the love of God to be our foundation, to be our root, to be what we are truly established on. We need that foundation. And Paul prays that we will be able to grasp how wide, how, how long, how high, how deep is this incredible love of Christ. Now, he uses dimensions. Isn't that odd? He's describing something intangible, like, Love, and he uses these dimensions. And scholars have debated, right? Well, what does he mean? What is the width? What is the height? What is the depth? Right? And in all of my research, I've come to the conclusion he's saying it's a whole lot of love. That's it, right? <laughs> it's a whole lot of love. It, God loves you with so much love, it's bigger than you could possibly imagine. It's bigger than you could possibly earn or deserve or anything like that. No, it's a love that's huge, and it's just freely given to you, freely given to me. It's not earned, not deserved, anything like that. It's this amazing love. And maybe you're here today, and you just, you know that you've messed a lot of things up in life, and you're feeling kind of unworthy like, yeah, you know, we talk about love, we talk about all these things, talk about good, good father. But, but let me tell you, if you knew the truth about me, you'd know that the good, good father doesn't really care about me. But let me tell you, that's not the case. It's not the case. Why? Because nobody, nobody earns or deserves this love. So regardless of how much you've messed up, well, yeah, you don't deserve it. Just like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, everybody else. It's not earned, it's not deserved. No, it's freely given. And that's the best part. It's freely given to you, to me, to everybody. God freely extends this love. And it's just the most incredible love. I want to tell you a story that helps us understand a little bit more about this love. The story goes back about 750 years before Jesus. There was this guy, his name was Hosea. Hosea is a prophet, and prophets, their job was to communicate God's word to people. Okay, like they hear from God, they tell the people. So there were similarities to pastors, but differences as well. And so prophets, they would listen to God's voice and they would communicate God's word. They communicate this to the people out there, right? So sometimes the prophets were called to actually live it out, like an object lesson kind of thing, like their life would be the object lesson of how God's uh, message is, okay? Well, nobody had it tougher than Hosea when it comes to this. Let me show you why. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, God said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. That's disturbing, right? Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) God, I'm sure that I did not hear you properly there. I, man, I thought you said, no, you did say that. You've got to be kidding me, right? Do you you know how much I get paid? By the way, it's not much, God. Like, uh, this is not worth it. I'm not doing that, you know? Like, imagine this. What a difficult calling. What an unbelievably challenging task. Hosea was called to. What would you do if you were in his shoes? Now, when you think about it, why does anyone become a prostitute? Well, often, perhaps usually, it's not chosen. Oftentimes, it's forced by evil people. We see that in our world today. It's been happening through the beginning of, since the beginning of time. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It's often usually not chosen, but if it is chosen, the only reason you would choose it is purely out of desperation. You've got no other options by which you would earn income. And I mean, nobody says, you know, I could go be an RN at the hospital, but being a nurse is really messy, right? I think I'll go for prostitution instead. Nobody says that. That doesn't make any sense, you know? Like, it's not something that's desired. It's something that would only be done out of pure desperation. So God calls Hosea, the prophet, to go and marry a prostitute. Now, this is scandalous, you know? Like, if we had, imagine if we had a single pastor here at Anderson Hills, right? And and they got engaged to a prostitute. You'd be a little disturbed, perhaps, You'd probably say, hey, uh, John, you should say something to them about this. This is scandalous. This doesn't seem like a great idea. But he does. He marries her. And so now she's been rescued, right? Right? She's free from this terrible lifestyle. She's free. She's she's got all the food she wants. She's got clothing. She's got a roof over her head, all paid for by the good prophet Hosea, right? So now she's free from this old life. Thanks be to God she can live in a home. She can enjoy all the things that you and I enjoy, and she doesn't have to do that anymore, so you would think. But then this, this, this woman, her name is Gomer, she goes and she does the unthinkable. She literally goes back into prostitution. Verse 5 says she's a shameless prostitute, became pregnant in a shame way. She said, I'll run out after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, for olive oil and drinks. Gomer, you've got all that stuff already. What are you thinking? What's going through your head? You've got all of that stuff. Why on earth would you go out and do this again? You've got this incredible husband. He's a good guy. He sacrificed so much to be married to you. He sacrificed his reputation as all these different things. and, And you go right back to it? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. How embarrassing for Hosea, this man who's respected and and looked to as as a voice who speaks from God, and yet his wife is out on the street corner. How humiliating. Verse 8. She doesn't even realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. God's talking about what Israel has done here. You see, Israel is loved by the one true God, right? The God who's the creator of all the universe, the God who brought them out of Egypt, the God who all these things for them. And and they would worship that God, but they like to do something kind of on the side, like to, to hedge their bets a little, if you will. Like, okay, we'll worship God, that's great, but we do a lot of farming around Israel, you know, and, and here we need some, some more help. Because Baal was a God who's believed to be a fertility God, a God who would send rain, in their their opinion. And so we're going to worship the one true God, but but we're also going to worship Baal just in case. You know, let's kind of back it up, right? Belt and suspenders kind of worship here, you know? That was their approach. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work Because this is a relationship that is rooted and established in love. And if you love your spouse, you don't cheat on them. If you love your spouse, you don't do that. You remain faithful because this is the loving covenant that you have with each other. Well... I know the story is messed up already, but it's going to get even another level of messed up here. God actually speaks to Hosea, and he says, Hosea, you're going to go out, and you're going to find her. Chapter 3, the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. What would you do? Seems unthinkable, doesn't it? This prophet, this man called by God, he leaves his home, he goes into the, the red light district and he starts looking for his wife. Anybody seen Gomer around here? Anybody? Anybody seen Gomer anywhere? No? Some guy comes up. He's like, oh, I've seen Gomer. Hosea? Wait. You're, you're not still together. Oh, I, had, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Imagine what that's like. Well, Gomer's gotten herself into trouble somehow. We don't know exactly how, but the the Bible tells us that Hosea finds her in a place where she's being sold. Whether she's owned by somebody or whether this is some kind of Slave auction, or something like that. We don't know for sure, but it says, I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. In other words, not a lot. Not a lot. Gomer's standing there, this auction block, perhaps, head down, his sick men cheer. And yell And she hears this strangely familiar voice saying, "I'll take her. I'll take her." She looks up and it's the only man in the whole place who shouldn't even be bidding. Because she was already his she's his wife he buys his wife back he buys this woman that he'd given his best to he'd given everything to And she left him. She embarrassed him. She hurt him. Time and time again. He didn't even know if his children were really his children. And he goes and buys her back? It's too much. It feels like too much. How could I possibly love with that kind of love? And then it, then it hits me. <laughs> I am Gomer. It's me. I, I want to be the Hosea in the story, you know. But no. I'm the one who God gave everything for, and yet time and time and time again, I'm not faithful to him, you know? That's, that's us. It's, it's our story, church. And it's a story that could leave us just feeling incredibly guilty until you think about the fact That this is God's love for you. That it looks like this. This is how God showed his love among us, 1 John says. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for John's sins. For your sins. All of us like sheep. We went astray. We turned everyone to his or her own way. And the Lord laid on Jesus. All of our sins. He became sin. Who knew no sin. That, that we might somehow become God's righteousness. That my friend. Is the love. That you are rooted in. The love that. That you are standing on. It's a love that is bigger than any of us could possibly show. It's a love that's bigger than any of us could possibly earn. It's a love that's bigger than any of us could even comprehend. It's a whole lot of love. It's a big love. It's a love that never stops seeking you, that you can never get away from, that never gives up on you. And no matter how many steps away you've taken from this love, it's just one step back. Because you never deserved it from the beginning, and he freely gives it. He freely gives it. Thank God. Thank God that people like me and like you can experience that kind of love. We've been talking a lot this year about how the gospel has two halves, right? And the first half is exactly what we've been saying. It's this love, this love that God has for you. And we keep coming back to this here in Ephesians because Paul wants you to know what this this foundation is that the church is built on. That what it is that we go out from and we serve in, but it's not just that, though. You experience that love, that's half of it, but the second half is this. You get to show that love. No, you are called to show that love to the world around us. That the whole cosmos may know the manifold wisdom of God. That, that the whole world may see people like you and me and say, that is a loving God. That is a God who's full of grace, who's full of mercy. That if That is a God who keeps on loving even when we mess up. That's a God who gives that kind of love. And we see it because we see how those people love others. There's something different about them. There's something different. They love when they're not necessarily loved by others. They give, even though it may not benefit them directly. They serve just out of an act of love. There's gomers everywhere out there. You know? There are. And they need, we need to experience, and we need to demonstrate this love why a church is here. This morning, literally tens of thousands of Africans had clean water. They got to drink clean and safe water because this church, over a decade, has given over a million dollars to put wells in Zambia. That's love. You may not meet them till heaven, but it's love. It's generosity. There's probably hundreds of folks in Appalachia who are going to wake up in a house that's in pretty decent shape because we've been going there for a long time. We're going back there soon to, to, to provide good housing. It's an act of love. It's an act of love. There's children this morning who can get up and they can read their Bible. They can come to church, read their Bible at home, wherever they're at. Why? Because some of you tutored them through WizKids, or you prayed and you supported and you gave and made this all possible. These are just a few ways. Friends, God is love, and he even uses people like me and you to show that love. Thanks be to God. God, I pray that we at Anderson Hills, together with all of the Lord's holy people, would know how wide and long and high and deep is your love and that we would be firmly established in this love, that it would be our foundation, that it would be our root, that it would be our calling card, that when people see us, they see you. They see your love. They see your compassion. They see the change that you're bringing in this world, and they want to know you. God, would you draw them? Would you draw all people unto yourself, God? We know that if you are lifted up, that's exactly what we're do, what you will do, and we're here to lift you up, Lord. God, we love you so much, and we thank you so much for how good you are. We thank you that we can worship you in this place and know and experience your love. God, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. Amen.